Hey guys, Mike here. Hey, on this episode, Cody Lewis of Cold Spring Custom Calls pops in. We talk about a lot of heritage uh, of making calls, uh, the different different breeds of call out there, and what it means to someone like Cody, who's a call collector, to see so many people making custom calls now to this day. Um, it's, a, it's a really cool thing that he does. Uh, it does really great work, and he works with some other call makers around the U.S. who make some really great calls. Hey, as always, guys, this podcast is also brought to you by Swamp Stick. Everybody knows Swamp Stick at this point. Uh, they've been a sponsor for the show for a long time now. And uh, Swamp Stick is obviously one of those things I tell everybody I use a bunch. Uh, go check them out. Um, MAMP10 at checkout will get you 10% off. Uh, that's from right here at Mountain and Marsh. And um, we love it. We love the thing. I'm going to use it all year this year again, and I'm really excited about it. Hunting season's already rolling. Uh, you know how that is. It's, it's a great, great time of year. So I hope everybody is ready and using their swamp sticks this year. Uh, also, the triptych multi-tool, uh, another thing that I started using last year, a uh, newer sponsor, but I started using it last year and really enjoyed it. Um, so if you guys could go check out Triptych Multi-Tool, a great, great piece to have in your arsenal, um, hanging off your lanyard uh, or whatever. I mean, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're upland hunting, you're lowland hunting, you're in-between hunting, uh, you're on the water hunting. I check them out. Triptych Multi-Tool. All right, guys, here's a podcast. Hey everybody, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we have Cody here, Cody from Cold Springs Custom Calls. Cody, could you please introduce yourself to everybody who you are, where you're from? Yeah, guys, uh, like I said, my name's, or like he said, my name's uh, Cody. I own Cold Springs Custom Calls. Um, I'm from Fairfield, Pennsylvania. Uh, actually, if you look at it on a map, I'm almost located directly behind Site R. A lot of locals know what that is. A lot of people around the world don't know what that is. Um, but yeah, because they I, keep uh, it hidden up there. They keep it hidden. Yeah, yeah. We're the we're the deer die of old age yeah. up there. You know. So, uh, so obviously you're local here to me. Most people know that I'm I'm here in Gaysburg. And, yeah. um, what got you into hunting? Like, what what really made you a custom call maker? Like, how'd you get yeah. to this point? Yeah. So backing it up, um, I was actually born in upstate New York, up in the Finger Lakes in the Southern Tier region. 
And uh, it was a, New York was a shotgun only state uh, up until about, I'm going to say 10, 12 years ago. Um, but growing up as a kid, man, my dad was one of like 13 kids and each one of them had a chunk of property and deer season is like a holiday up there, very small town area. And, you know, they actually give you off a week of school, not like around here where they give you the, the first two days off of deer season. They actually give you the week off up there. Uh, the poverty level is pretty low and everything. So people kill what they eat, literally. Right. Know? Yeah. So, you know, big, big nostalgia around, you know, getting together with the family, driving deer. You know, there was with all the cousins involved, you know, sometimes there was 20 or 30 of us. You know, and we never really pushed the same piece of ground twice, but, you know, mountains, swamps, you know, it was a good time. But, you know, a lot of a lot of mornings there when I was young and my dad would sit me in a tree stand, you know, I'd be holding at the time he had a uh, Mossberg 9200, which was a semi-automatic they had. And, and, you know, all the Mossbergs back then were golden triggered, you know, and just sitting there in the stand, looking at the gun, waiting for deer to come through, you know, seeing the wood in it, the scars, you know, the gold trigger and everything, it kind of started to develop a nostalgia for wood, you know, with me and everything. And that's, that's what I think of when I see a pretty piece of wood, you know, it just takes me back to a good time, you know? Right. And yeah. So, but moving, you know, later on through just high school, man, hunted every minute that I could, you know, uh, when I first met my wife, we're high school sweethearts. Uh, I met her when she was 15, I was 16. We've been together ever since, but, uh, you know, her her birthday was actually on opening day of archery season, and I was never there. You know, I thought I'd be like, "Hey, I'd see you at dark." You know, <laughs> I'll mm -hmm. be there. That's how serious it was to me. But hunting's always been a big part of my life, you know. And uh, then here recently, her father had got me into turkey hunting, and my dad was never much of a turkey hunter, uh, so I didn't do a whole lot of it. It's not that he wouldn't teach me; it just wasn't something he did. Um, so. My wife's uh, father got me into turkey hunting, and I just immediately fell in love with it. And I remember one day going into the store to buy some turkey calls, you know, a big box store. I can't remember what it was, and I was looking at, uh, you know, the turkey calls, and it just seemed like everything was plastic. It was all mass-produced, you know. Right. Not to knock any companies, you know, but they're all kind of following suit with this mass production. Things are moving overseas and and things like that and i was like and this stuff that ain't cool you know so i bought a lathe uh started monkeying around with some things found some facebook groups where some call makers were on found out real quick that you never really ask a call maker you know how to make a call so a lot of their sound is in their measurements on duck calls on turkey calls and things like that you know they, they'll tell you how to make how to set up your machine but uh, they won't ever give you their measurements, you know. So I started making turkey calls, started making strikers, um, finally got a sound out of one after, like, you know, ruining, like, 40 pieces of wood, um, learning the right and the wrong way to use a lathe. Um, and then I just, like any other craftsman would, just wanted to start seeking out the quality in it. You know, how could I, how could I make it better? Every time I made one, I wanted to make it better the next time. And the next time, and the next time. And then, you know, first I was real finicky with my sound, you know, and I was like, I like the sound of a young hen. To me, when you get that call fired up, I've had good experience lighting up gobblers with that. And then I corrected myself. It's like, well, you're making calls for people, 
you know, and what sounds good to your ear may not sound good to my ear. But that's the cool part around a custom turkey call. If you don't like it, we can change some things. You know, there's umpteen different options. You can get different sounds out of the density in the woods, the soundboards, the depths, um, even how you secure that soundboard to the call. You know, did you put a couple dots of glue? Did you, you know, carve out a glue channel? Is it solidly glued? So started playing around with sounds and, and selling them here and there. And people took a liking to it. And I had quite the background in duck hunting up on the Big Finger Lakes. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to try my hand at some duck calls. And that got pretty popular. So, Yeah, uh, I, I know that we had already talked before the podcast a little bit. Um, the really cool thing about these calls, as you said about there being plastic mass produced calls, obviously they have their place because every major store is going to hold something and that would be what they're holding. You know, they're not going to, to, to get a consumer to buy a $50 to a hundred dollar plastic call is a little like in that moment, it's a little bit easier than someone actually taking the time to sit down. And, Absolutely. But I, I believe, and you had said this too, in my opinion, that there's enough of a market, you know, that yep. you, you can, uh, you can make custom calls and people really do enjoy it. Uh, as you had said, uh, there were people that would literally like bid themselves on your Facebook live chat, yep. like yep. over calls. And it's, it's just that, that minute. So, you know, with, our sport in general, hunting, you know, there's there's wants and there's needs in this world. You know what I mean? I'll shop around an electric company, you know, on price, but if I want that duck call, there's nothing stopping me from getting it. That's a completely different budget. That's what I want, not what I need. So, you know, when, when things go up there, people see it and they want it and they won't stop. You know, but uh, my normal price range is somewhere is between, you know, $100, $150 on a, on a good duck call, you know, or a custom pot with a striker. You know, and to me, that's that's not too much to ask. You know, uh, if people would watch a whole live and see the kind of work that goes into it, you know, we're talking three, four hours before even the finishing process. You know, but it's it's something that's that's touched by hand. You know, uh, I selected that piece of wood. You know, I maybe dug through the box and, and seen a couple pieces of wood that weren't going to work all the way through. And, you know, a lot of guys that have bought calls through me are very satisfied with the sound and everything. And I, I, I let them know, you know, nothing leaves a shop truly until it passes my ear, you know? Um, and I think that's something to pride yourself on. I'm, I'm trying to bring craftsmanship back in today's society. Everything is moving so fast. You know, it's, it's mass produced, Right. It's about getting a product out the door, you know, and I'm I'm just looking at making something pretty. You know, who said hunting has to be ugly? You know, we can trick out our guns, you know, there's really pretty pieces of wood on there. Well, who says you can't do it with a duck call? You know, who yeah. why can't you do it with a turkey call? You know. Uh, one thing that's always drove me nuts, and this is gonna it might sound a little off, but it, one thing that's always drove me nuts is that like guys will spend say $300 on a jacket that says Sika on it, or that was probably made in Indonesia or something, or, or, or they'll, you know, or China, whatever, or, or they'll, they'll spend that money on that Burris optic scope or whatever, but then go to the store and buy 
a basic call. Like personally for waterfowl, I, I know that being in the right place at the right time and decoying calling is very important, especially trafficking. Absolutely. But like, I know that being first and foremost, being in the right place at the right time and like have the right decoy set up, don't overpower, you know, all that, all that good stuff, have a good hide with all the money and time you put into that stuff. It's like, yeah, for an extra forty fifty dollars, you could probably have a supreme call yep. in comparison to yep. like a junk call. I, I blow haze calls; they're they're about a hundred dollar price range. Mm-hmm. I just met them at the Sportsman Show years ago. Yep. Matter of fact, Bob, who works for them, has cancer right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I met them at the Sportsman Show years ago, uh, and he was he smelled like cigarettes and was like, "Hey, man, look." Zinc's down there. You want to buy a legit call that's cheaper here. Yep. And like, I look at it, they're all, you know, really nice calls. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm into that. Yep. And so that's why I went that way. But it's just, I, there's this like, I don't know, man. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like people get attached to a name or a, yeah. and that's kind of what, where you go. Yeah. And I mean, back to what you said with like the duck hunting, you know, the flock's headed over you, you know, you need to turn them. Right. So I want something that's going to reach out there. You know, that, that duck call is extremely important to what's going to happen next. You know, same thing with, with turkeys. You know, I think we're starting to get, uh, it's kind of controversial, but I think we're starting to get little subspecies. You know, you hunt turkeys around here just like I do. And I've hunted them in other states. And to me, these are some of the scaredest turkeys mm-hmm. in the world around here. You know, and I've heard too. everything in the book. You know, so I like having a different sound, you know. Um, these birds around here are just super spooky, you know. So I like making two-sided calls. I like being two different birds by flipping a pot real fast, you know. Um, but, yeah, you're you're relying on that call. That's that's going to be the outcome of what happens next and, and how you use it and stuff. But, no, Hayes, Hayes is a great company. I, I've seen them up there at Sportsman Show. I've talked to them multiple times. But what you're going to find in the call-making world is there's just a lot of good guys out there. You know, they they will talk with you. You know, they'll they'll point you in the right direction and everything. And, you know, some people look at my stuff and they're like, that is gorgeous. You know, I would never take that out in the duck blind. What I can tell you is what you're going to do to that call is so easily fixed by one of us duck or call-makers, you know, that we'd be insulted if you didn't take it with you. You know, we want you to use it. Yes, it's pretty, but, you know, it's it's there to be used. But there is a niche uh, of, of collectors out there that buy them just to have them. You know, they think you're going to be the next grand champion call maker. You know, they literally buy them and they don't, some of them don't even hunt. Some of the guys that I know. Yeah, I I like the ha- the one haze call that I use a lot on big water is the ball and chain. It gets loud. It's a loud acrylic cl- call. But I've been in the market for a soft call, like a maybe a wooden call, yep. something I can finish with. I, I've never had a finishing call um, just because normally I wasn't using it. But sure. now birds, like you were talking about turkeys, birds are getting spooky, man. I, last year in the mountains, I sighted a bird. He worked his way around me. He wouldn't answer a call. Right. I started scratching, and an hour later, he was in my – he gobbled – 10 feet from me over a little knoll and I, he was right there. Yeah. So like just, just mixing it up and being light and like finishing worked for that Turkey right there. And it's, it's one of those things with ducks too. I I think nowadays 
especially locally. Like you had said, you might go, we were talking earlier, you might go out and you might get a chance on only two ducks all day. Sure. You got to be able to finish. And I, I think using a lighter call would be a, a really good way. Absolutely. And, and if it was a custom call, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like yep. it, if you got the call, you got the call and a finishing call would be great. Absolutely. I mean, you look at guys like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and name drop here. Hunter Hamilton down in Mississippi, um, Brad Eldridge down at Paris game calls. You know, those guys are making the whole call. They're not, they're not turning a barrel and putting an insert in there. They're making the cork. They're custom shaping the cork. You know, they're they're making the reed cuts themselves. That that duck is going to be a raspy old duck. But up here, you know, along like say the Susquehanna, you know, they haven't heard stuff like that. That is a southern call where mm-hmm. you know a lot of those parishes, you know, I've seen them to where the whole barrel is cork. You know, and they sound like the ugliest looking thirty pack a day smoking duck that you've ever heard in your life. But it kills the kills oh, yeah. ducks, you oh, know, yeah. and it's just a different sound. It's like when you hear a turkey call and you hear how like, or if you hear a turkey in the wild, a, a bull, a boss hen will be like, yep. bah, bah, bah. like she'll get nasty, yep. and and then you hear, I'll hear a guy two ridges over, and I know it's a call, like, super clear. Like I just know exactly. I was like, that's not a turkey. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's that that mass produced sound that I'm talking about. You know, I can. Here with what I'm doing, you know, I can talk to you and you can tell me, hey, I want to finish and call. I want something that's, you know, dull and raspy and everything. And I can I can make that happen, you know. Whereas you lose that in the in the superstores, you know. Um, they're they're running it through chances are a CNC machine, you know, or something like that, where it's every yeah, measurement is probably exactly eight, the same. eight to twelve blanks and chucks and they're just running right through them. Right, right. Yeah, that. I, I believe in, in my, this is my, I've been watching this happen a lot more down South. Like you sure. were talking about Paris, but a lot more down South. I've been really noticing that they make like, like Jay Stevens, who we were looking at or whatever, like they really pump out these really nice wooden calls sure. that guys are also still using. But then you look at like, you probably have seen like Bayou Beast. Mm-hmm. He that that old guy yep. where wears the cap and the yeah. you know he's out there smoking cigars with an old side by side and shooting right. ducks off yep. a pirogue, like he uses a cane call like it's not it's it's in my opinion it's a pretty call because it is so nostalgic it yep. is but it's not like some intricate call but it's a different call yep. and he he even says on his videos I don't need to use this call to hail at a bird. But if I finish birds, mm-hmm. I'm finishing them with this, yep. and they finish all the time, like it, you know. Yeah, and and don't ever put it past your call maker. You know, good good possibility that guy has hunted this area for years. You know, he knows what birds around you locally like. He's been there, done that, and he's probably developed a sound around it, just like that old guy there. You know, he knows that works for mm-hmm. him. But yeah, man, there's there's. It's a cool sport. You know, it started out as a craftsmanship adventure for me. You know, my job uh, gets pretty busy during the day and everything. And it's, it's, this is my opportunity to go out in the garage and just relax and, and work with the products, you know. Do you find that, um, and we had talked a little bit earlier about this, but do, do you find that there is a 
large market for these custom calls? Yeah. I mean, right now at any given time, there's a couple uh Facebook pages. There's some waffles, you know, where a guy will make a call on a Friday night and he's just your hometown guy. He doesn't even really sell them. You know, it's something he, he cracks a beer on a Friday night, makes a call Saturday, throws it up on a waffle. You know, you'll get a a one in 10 chance, you'll Venmo them, you know, five bucks for a chance. And then you have a chance at probably a 200 hour custom call, you know? Um, but there's, there's a lot of them out there. And I think, you know, the older generation, the guys that we seen when we were boys, you know, that were cut from leather and stuff, right? that generation that's still hanging on there, they're, they're seeking these custom calls. They know what quality is, you know? They appreciate taking care of, you know, the local guy and keeping him up and going and stuff. But I just, I think there's something to be said for, you know, when you hand this duck call down to your son, you know, I may not be alive, but you can tell him the story. Hey, that old guy up there in Fairfield, right. he always wore a canvas, you know, uh, cape when he was out there, uh, you know, making duck calls and everything. But man, that guy made some calls, you know, and then that boy gets that inspiration. You know, he gets, right. that, man, that's the best call out there. You know, it's just going to change the way his duck hunt goes in the morning. I think he's going to look at it. He's going to see the the notches in it, the dings from when you bumped it around stuff, you know. Hey, how many ducks do you think that call has killed? You know, it gives him something to think about. Right. Like that, boop, that morning boob. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, that It it reminds me a lot of uh, my, my grandfather has a 32 Winchester special, sure. model 94, and that same gun – um, it doesn't even have any sort of a, cr- a lacquer finish on it, yep. but that gun has killed a, a slew of deer. Yep. It killed the biggest buck my grandfather ever killed in the mountains of Virginia, a big nine point. Um, and like, we still remember that my family remembers that story to this day. He was still drunk the night before mm-hmm. and shot that deer in the mountain. Like yep. he was throwing up and like, there it was rubbing a tree and he yeah. shot it. Like it was a whole thing. Yeah. We all still remember that story, but it had a, a late, I don't even remember her name. A lady painted that buck on the butt of that gun. Yeah. And to this day, that gun goes to Virginia and it, I, it's not mine to take out. My grandfather doesn't want to take it out anymore. Right. So my dad takes it out. I can, but my dad takes it out one hunt a year. Sometimes he kills a deer with it. Yep. And it's just, it's one of those things. That gun is beat up, banged up. Just a snap. But it Nostalgic. Will, it will yeah. never change. The way it is, it will never change because that's exactly how we want to keep it. And if there ever was a family heirloom, like that's the family heirloom. Sure. So if you had a call... That you know, say you made a hundred and fifty dollar custom turkey call, right. and you know by the time a third generation gets it from now, we might be dead and gone. Yeah. And that call has twelve scratches underneath of it. Yep. You know what I mean? It's like, yep. That's a that's cool to me. That is really cool. Like yeah. Seeing or they, or they look at you know the sweet spot on that call where it's just been scratched for years and years right. and years. You know, and you're like, that's that's where it's going to happen. But you know. Going back to the to the nostalgia thing, you know, that's what made that hunt. You know, that's that's what makes your hunt. That's what you think of when you think of West Virginia deer season. You think of Pap's old rifle, you know, and that's that's kind of what I'm aiming towards with with these calls. Something to go along with the hunt, you know, something to go along with the rifle, something they can hand down. You know, duck hunters are always real proud of their of their duck lanyard. You know, the bands on it, the calls on it. You know, um, it's cool stuff. You look at, uh, you know, that song, Matthew Huff. I don't know if you've ever heard him sing. Mm. 
mm-hmm. you know, what is it, uh, Daddy's Echo or something like that, you know, phenomenal song. Gives me the shivers when I think of it, you know. Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, the, the buck behind you there on the wall, that mountain buck. Yeah. Uh, my my great-grandfather started our deer camp in 1952 in, uh, in Virginia and outside of Staunton, and um, that buck was the last deer he killed. And when people walk in here and look at that, deer and they say oh that's nice deer yeah that deer might as well be 200 inches in my eyes because sure i miss that deer running past me and about half a mile away and his son my dad's uncle doug missed it uh-huh. between me and him and he shot it yep. like half a mile away up a big gutter that ran up through up through these mountain ranges and he was sitting up there and shot it and and he was 92 when he shot that. That, years old. that might as well be the biggest deer I've ever seen. Like I, that means more to me. There, that means more to me than sure. any other deer that I've ever seen. You know Can you I mean? imagine walking a mountain at 92 years old? <laughs> I've seen him do it. <laughs> if I make it to 92, I'd be lucky to walk across the room. You know. Well, you know, it's but stuff like that means that's what is is so cool to me. It's like I just I want my kids. You know, I had uh, had a guy in last weekend, and we recorded a podcast. And uh, he's working with turkeys for tomorrow. Jed Fetter. Yeah, yeah. and I know uh, Jed Rowell at high school. Okay, yep. so Je- Jed uh, is um, Jed's a great guy, and and Jed's working with turkeys for tomorrow. And uh, and Jed, we were talking about you know wanting to make sure that there were turkeys for our kids. Yes. I work in Maryland. I'm I'm from Carroll County, Maryland, but I North Carroll County, but I work DC and Baltimore all the time. Mm-hmm. And I always see this. We'll go into a patch of woods. They're getting ready to clear 800 acres for yep. a, a bajillion townhomes, however many they can fit in there. Sure. Ryan Holmes is going to fit as many as he can. Yep. And we'll go in there first and there'll be turkeys in there. Mm-hmm. And it'll be the only patch of woods around that isn't developed. And I think to myself, it's like, the only place they got to go. They're gone. They're getting pushed out. They're they're gonna die. They're gone. And it's just, I mean, just like that, they'll be gone. And in half a year, they'll be gone. And yeah. it's like, I hate to see it. So that's why it means, you know, I've killed I've killed some really nice turkeys. I only have one here in the studio. That's that's one of my beat ones. But I got some real nice ones in the house and stuff. And I've yeah. killed some nice ones over the years. And it's it's one of those turkey hunting is my favorite sure and it's one of those things where i killed an 11 and three quarter inch beard at the age of 11 Mm -hmm. or um and and so because of that i was instantly hooked it was an awesome hunt sure and now i don't want my kids to not have that resource it's a it's a big deal to me now you know yep i mean some of my best memories uh i have a seven and a five-year-old um and that kind of helped play with what i was doing we live in a neighborhood where it i guess it's just today's day and age but i don't let them wander to the bottom of the yard without somebody being outside with them you know when we were kids you could ride 10 miles up the road your parents didn't care you know but now i don't let them to the bottom of the yard so i wanted something to where i could be outside while they're outside you know and now i just pop the garage door open but some of my best memories are you know, my little girl, actually some of the uh, pictures that we had done of my daughters when they were born, they had my duck lantern around their neck. You know, that's that's what it meant to me. Um, but some of my best memories are them girls taking these calls and running around the garage. Just I'd give them a five-hour pot call and they'd scratch at it and get a noise. But watching that kid light up when they get the noise 
is it's just it's the best feeling in the world you know you see them finally that's the aha moment they get it yeah and uh my seven-year-old of course she's a girl she's real big into colors you know she'll she'll go through my box of blanks and she'll be like this is the one we're gonna do today you know um that pink duck call we got right there the americana it's got a little pink to it she thought it was pink i told her it was red you know but to her it'll always be pink and i made it that day because that's what she wanted to do you know so those those little things are the important stuff the turkey calls are uh are are and, and i know duck calls can get intricate too like the one that you had showed me you pulled out that that wooden call is just it's unreal yeah, but it's a hunter hamilton yeah the the quality of, of that is unreal yep. but you know, like a, a turkey call there's just more space to it you know yep. you can kind of there's just so much you can do with a with a turkey call absolutely and, how pretty you can make a, a pot call. How pretty you can make it and everything, but the, the sounds you can adjust and stuff. You know, I've always been kind of a nomad in the fact that I like my sounds a certain way. You know, I don't know if you watch a lot of outdoor channel, but you watch turkey hunting now, and these guys are leaning off of hooting in the morning as locator, and they're going to a coyote howl. You know, we never seen that on the outdoor channel years ago. Right. Well, that's because everybody and their brother is hooting every day. You know what I mean? All day long. Now that turkey that's used to hearing that hooter at night and early in the morning, now he's hearing it at 11 o'clock right before lunchtime to get the bird to sound off. And he, he knows something's not right, you know? So these guys are starting to get smart and change their tactics. You know, they're trying to get them to a different locator, but that, that hones in on my idea of, you know, having different sounds, different sounds, kill birds. And, and my experience so yeah yeah if you if you sound like every tom dick and harry out there then you're sure. you're not going to get them to strike and uh sure. you know the, i think you're i think you were spot on by saying that the birds in our area a, a lot of people will will be like oh you're not doing the right thing you're not i've turkey hunted my whole life yeah. like i can tell you in the last four to five years they have gotten stiff yep. it's and I don't know if that's the turkey. I think it might even be a culmination of the turkey hunters growing in number, mm -hmm. the overcalling from roads, as well as coyote population. I know in Virginia, we've physically seen it. Sure. Coyotes will run turkeys out of fields, and the next day, 100%. they won't talk yep. because they're scared to. They don't want the coyotes to know where they're at. Absolutely. Uh, and so I, I see where the coyote calling comes in. And and I to locate, and then I also see where uh, turkeys just get stiff around here, man. Yeah. After week one or two, well, like you they just don't said, like that little eight hundred acre track. You know that's what they got. They have every right to be leery. You know the 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 walls are closing in around them. You know, mm -hmm. but if I can give the hunter a little bit of an edge, you know what I mean, to help finish that bird then that's what I'm going to do. You know, I, I make a lot of dual-sided calls because I like being two different birds, you know, talking to each other even. And they, they don't, they, they've never heard that before, you know, so. Is there a, uh, is there a favorite call you like to make or, or like an easiest call you like to make? Or? So I like a real crisp, clear sound. I like being a younger bird. Um, in my area that I hunt, I find that these, uh, older birds and majority of the toms don't like messing with these old hens. You know, they're they're so mean, they're so old, they don't cooperate. Right, yeah. That these birds are starting to become more attracted to a younger hen. So I like a crisp, clean sound. I like running uh, slate over glass is one of my favorites because I can get that real pretty purr. 
on the slate, but I can get that real clean cut yacht to it. Um, but that bird the next day could be in tune to that hen. You know, you got to kind of take his temperature every day. Um, I could flip it over and press on a completely different side of it that I glued differently and be a raspy hen, you know, or I can strike it differently and, and be a different hen altogether. So, yeah, I, I like, I like that idea. I never really, I never really put that thought into it. Like being a, I have, I mean, like we use aluminum, we use copper, but yeah. I, I've never really thought about like using a double sided call that way or back and forth or anything like that. Yep. Yep. I, I like to talk to each other, you know, hen to hen. Um, uh, the bird that I killed two years ago actually had six beards on it and the new game warden in our area, uh, came out to see it and took a picture with me. Heck of a nice guy. But that bird, I could not get him to commit, and we can't reap in Pennsylvania. So I mm -hmm. was seeing him, but I couldn't get close to him. You know, he had hens with him, and I pulled an old one out of the book, which was to start a fight with a hen. You know, and I got her to come to me, and he passed her doing a buck fifty. You know, he wanted to come fight for her, which was neat. I'd never had that happen in the wild before, but having the ability to flip it over and start a fight. You know, instead of just be attractive. But you think about these birds on the limbs, you know, in the morning and stuff. My old man always told me, and, you know, I've heard it from some other guys and stuff, and Russell, my father-in-law, told me, that bird on that limb knows exactly where you're at when you start calling in the morning. He knows exactly where you're at. You can't tell me that that bird, after the second and third day, doesn't know that that same tone is coming from that same tree every morning you know, right they, yeah i think they start to pick up a pattern i think they're a lot more intelligent than what we think they are well also how how natural now that you said it, i'm thinking about it i mean how natural is it that that hen would be in that same location on that same limb sure. but not be with that group of birds three days later mm -hmm. or you know or two days later like however however hard you're you're pushing it if you're calling from that same location or at least the same little area, he's probably, if he's a hundred yards from you, he's like, why haven't we met up yet? Like yeah. you, you should have been here already. Yeah. Like, you know. And I, I think of my father-in-law in that situation. So if you're to walk in his house, I mean, he's got, you think of a duck lanyard, he's got a turkey beard lanyard, you know, where it's just 30, 40, 50 turkey beards, you know, heck, heck of a big spurs and stuff. When he showed me how to turkey hunt, you know, prior to him showing me, I was watching the outdoor channel, you know, and these guys would move from field to field to field, just y'all, 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 you know, hammering. I went turkey hunting with that guy and sitting five yards from him against a tree, I could hardly hear him call purring, small clucks, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And he's like, these birds are leery around here. You know, he had, he's killed hundreds of them probably, but. You know, you got to adjust to what's going on in your area. And one of the best things he ever told me is, if you want to figure out turkey hunting, just shut up and listen. You know, go out and sit in the woods and listen to the way those hens are calling. You know, listen to the way that Tom's talking to them. You know, is he shot gobbling them every time they talk? You know, is he gobbling once in the morning and moving off? You know, that's what I love about turkey hunting. It's a very interactive, mm -hmm. strategic game every yep. morning you know and the more that they beat me every day the more intrigued i was to chase them the next day yep i was like this sucks i'm losing every day but i am gonna figure you out you know yeah i i think that's what uh got me with turkey hunting was and, and obviously at a, at a young age at like 11 
I was on a piece of private land and I, and I killed a bird in a group of birds that hadn't been hunted in a long time since they were, they were placed there since they were, you know, they got there. And, um, you know, I, we had a heck of a hunt, but we chased them down and we, you know, we killed them. I was like, this is way better than sitting in a tree stand. Like, yeah. I want to go after something. And uh, it, it's even changed the way that I deer hunt. I, I go after deer a lot sure. now, and, and I hunt off the ground a lot. And But I I am very, I'm a, even with duck hunting, I'm more tactical now mm-hmm. when I do things. And I, and I think that might even derive from turkey hunting because I've, growing up turkey hunting, we hunted, had the ability to hunt private land. Yeah. But a lot of guys I knew that hunted private land, including myself, we we would go out hunting, hear those birds that roost on the neighbors on that creek. Mm-hmm. They'd never come to us. We'd watch them in the neighbor's fields, strut across the field, and be gone. Sure. And it was like, you know, what, what can, we can't get to them. Like, what can we do? Let's just go hunt public land. I'd rather do that anyway. Yeah. Now, when I'm on public land, I hear birds, I can go after them. And then I can get in gutters and make moves. Yep. And I can, you know, and... That all, that's way more fun to me. Sure. Chasing is way more fun to me than it is sitting on my hands and waiting. I don't like waiting. Yep. Yep. You played your cards right. You, you truly, you know, it, it'd be like, uh, you know, somebody in the military that was hired to, you know, kill somebody. You truly hunted that thing. You know, a lot of these guys that hunt these big bucks, you know, they have a history with them. You know, they, they have put together strategic plans to make this mm-hmm. happen. And, and that's the interactive part of it that I like. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not taking, I've said this before, not taking anything from anybody who deer hunts mature whitetails. That's, that's even beyond me. We, we do get the opportunity at some big deer, but to me, the act of turkey hunting and being able to be strategic in the woods, you know, cut distance. All right. You think we got enough time to cut them off? Sure. Let's try to cut them off. Yep. Oh, nope. We're going to, we're going to bump them out. Yep. Like, oh, we, we can't make it. Like yep. all of that is just a mind game though. It's you're playing chess. Though. You're playing chess with an animal with a brain the size of a quarter. Yeah. But like, it's just for some reason they get you. And then it's like, I got to do it again. I yeah, gotta... And real easy to get a youth involved. You know, um, you look at them, they see that, they hear that gobble, you know, and it's like, all right, we're going to move on them. You know, we're going to put the old Waikiki sneaky on them, you know. And then next thing you know, you're belly crawling to a tree to get set up. And they're like, all right, this is going to happen, you know, versus deer hunting. They're sitting there twiddling with their thumbs, you know. Talk to a lot of guys that will put their kids in a blind, you know, and give them a tablet. Man, when we grew up, blinds weren't a thing, you know. No, dad, dad would <laughs> kick me and say, stop moving. We were freezing, you know, in a in a little hang-on stand. If it was a hang-on, it wasn't. We were, we were on the ground friends. sitting in on 30-degree ground all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But do you do you think uh, the weather that's going on now has a big change in, in what these birds are doing too? In my opinion, yes. And, that's, and I say that as someone who waterfowl hunts religiously, I do believe – that it plays a part because it's not that I don't think around the same time every year they come into breeding season, Mm -hmm. but I do believe that birds, it starts to get warm earlier and earlier and they, they want to start going earlier and earlier because we see it with waterfowl. You know what? We might be on the bay in December 25th and it's been 50 degrees every day Sure, and there's no birds. It's like, like, it sucks, and we knew it was going to suck, you know. So, for turkey season, I do. I I think that there's something to it. I mean, locally here, it's like I'm starting to see, you know, Tom strutting in the fields three, four, five weeks mm-hmm. before last the season year. opens, yep. and, and this thing. year I could have swore 
we were going to miss it, you know, that they were going to yeah. be on lockdown. But luck have it every year around here, I generally kill my bird on the second week. And I, I do that intentionally. Um, I'll go in there for the first couple of days and try to take the temperature, just see what's going on. I, I'll hardly make a call. Um, I just want to listen. I want to see what's going on around me and everything. And then, like you said, you'll start to hear the other hunters. You know, you'll hear them coming in there. Well, after three or four days, a lot of these local guys will get fed up with it. You know, they all these birds are, they're already out, you know. They're not hot right now. And then the second week, I can repair yeah, what they yeah. did by coming in and calling every five minutes, you know, so. Yeah, the the weather thing is, it's a touchy subject. Uh, you'll get, like, if you see online someone post about it, it's always bullshit. It's not, that's not how it is. And yeah. it's like, look, man, everybody's situation is different for one. Yeah. And two, be open-minded about it because uh, literally, I, I I believe that the weather has been playing a factor. Um, I get to, luckily, I get to watch a group of birds, and antagonizingly, yeah. I get to watch a group of birds here by the battlefields right beside the 15. Sure. All the time. That that group's in there right now. They're in, Actually, they're one field over right now. They've been feeding there every evening. Yeah. But there's some big toms sure. in that group. And that group of birds, uh, just as you said, about a month prior mm -hmm. to the season, like March 1st or like right around there, they were full strut, like yep. pushing other birds around in the fields. And I was like, and you're like, how? Eh, like that's not how? good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think this area has always restricted us too. I mean, we don't have a fall season around here uh, in 5A, you know, but um, that's, that's frustrating, you know, yeah. at the same time, we're trying to rebuild that population. But this year I definitely heard a lot more mature birds. Um, I think there was a lot more two-year-olds out there. We had a heck of a bumper crop with cicadas a couple of years ago, and that really generates that turkey population big time. These these poults can ground feed a lot easier on the base of these trees and stuff and get big enough to where these coyotes and, and predators don't want to mess with them, these hawks. you know, That's another thing that I always talk about that people don't really pay attention to. You know, We're not allowed to kill hawks. You know, but if you look around, there's hawks everywhere. You know, these things, they're swooping in. They're a predator. They're, they're grabbing turkeys all the time. Yeah. You know, and they're like, well, there's there's got to be 50 coyotes back in that patch of woods. It's like, really, have you ever heard one? You know, and they're like, eh, I heard them like two Decembers ago, you know, but they don't pay attention to these hawks. I think these hawks are doing some damage. I talked to Jed about this. Um, we we have a property in Tallingtown, Maryland, sure. and uh, it's where we lease. And that property does hold birds. In the spring, they're normally on the neighbors, whatever. But in the fall and throughout the summer, there's a lot of breeding ground for poults. Sure. And they're always in this real tall. It's it's like an open but tall grass mm -hmm. cedar thicket. And they're always in there. And and uh, in the fall, when I'm going to stand, I'll see them. Last year, one hen had three white poults with her, mm -hmm. white face. So really cool. I mean, we see a lot of birds around, but also we have a lot of coyotes. Yeah. Um, my father killed two like three years ago. And then this past year, I shot one in rifle season. Yeah. Um, and just we do have a lot of coyotes because we've seen them. Mm -hmm. uh, we've watched them chase deer and everything. And we still have as many turkeys as we've ever had. Yeah. I've seen this argument before where coyotes kill enough skunks, raccoons, and things of that nature that it actually 
kind of it, it either cancels out or is better for the the turkeys because the coyotes aren't always necessarily looking for the eggs as much as they're looking to they're bigger. They need to sustain, so they need more. Yeah. So maybe they're not always look. They're looking for the raccoon who's looking for the the eggs. You know. So I I had seen that argument recently, and I was like, man, I wonder if that's legit because we've gotten more turkeys. Yeah. And in the last three years, and we've gotten more kites. Yep. So. Yep. I I think it's a big big contributor. But have you ever called one in while you were turkey hunting? I can't remember. I I know in Virginia probably yeah I want to say we have because we do have one piece of private to hunt in Virginia yeah and down there is where we'll see them in the field they'll chase turkeys off yep. but three years ago I hunted uh, a track of my uncle's ground that nobody turkey hunts they haven't in years a lot of the brothers are gone um, and I'm the only bow hunter and we're talking a couple hundred acres here you know on the on the close to a thousand and I got up there scouted and you know there was turkeys strutting by my truck where I had parked on my way back through after doing the loop. And I'm like, this is going to be fantastic. Um, next couple mornings progressed in the turkey season, and I called three coyotes into my setup, you know, and smoked every single one of them. But it's just like, wow, no wonder why I'm not seeing birds. I'm seeing them when I scout, but they're not responding to me. They're quiet, you know. But watching those things just charge right in and bopping through the – through the swale, you know, looking for you. It's like, this is unreal. These birds can't even be birds. Right. But I, I hate coyotes. They're they're real heavy up in upstate New York. Um, we lived, uh, let's see, it would have been about an eight-minute drive to Watkins Glen Racetrack, uh, but about a 400-yard walk through the woods. Um, and every year in February, it gets down to like negative 20 at night up there yeah. and uh, about zero at lunchtime. And it was nothing for me to kill 15 or 20 of them off my front porch. When it gets real cold like that, they would actually come just like a dog and they would sift through your garbage cans. They would run the creeks and they, they, they got really brave up there. But I installed uh, some floodlights on my house and when right. those electronic floodlights would pop on, I'd know something was out there and, and we would look out and here's these coyotes cutting right through our driveway. You know, I had one go after my uh, my bird dog one year in broad daylight. I was splitting some wood, and she would always kind of hang around me, you know. And uh, next thing I know, I'm hearing the yipping and everything down in the creek, and she's down there. She's got three dogs on her. And that dog, I actually ran back to the house and got a rifle and came back, and I had to kick that coyote off of her in order to kill it. It had no problems with me being there. Right, yeah. You know, it was just in, in tune with the fight. Um, but they're... They're a weird creature, for sure. Yeah, yeah, they're they're wily. That's for sure. Yeah. They, uh, we've seen them chase down some deer and stuff, and I know they play a role because, like I said, we we've seen it in Virginia where like they show up, and the birds the next day they don't even want to talk. They're like, mm -hmm. nah, yeah. I don't even need to call. I don't even need to hammer on the roost. I'm done. Like yeah. today, I'm gonna relax. Like that's just kind of how they'll get, um, and that that is always an issue. You know we. I don't know if it played a factor. You know how tur it can be turkey hunting where things can get a little. A bird might not gobble in the morning and you wonder why. And then he gobbles at eight o'clock off the roost. And you're like, yeah. why are you still in the roost? But yeah. that happened to me like this last year on that same farm. I was running late one morning. Uh, I think it was like a rain day mm -hmm. at work. And I hauled ass to the farm, jumped out of the truck, ran to the back. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to see what happens. Yeah. One answers me way off on the neighbors. I'm like, yeah, that's typical. Mm -hmm. And I think what I can't remember what I did, but I, 
I scratched or something, mm-hmm. and he gobbled like ten trees from me. Like I, I'd messed up, but he was like right there, and I'm mm-hmm. like, why he didn't call, gobble? Maybe it was Kai's. Maybe I don't know. You know, I, there's no way of knowing sure. in that moment. But yeah, I, I, uh, I don't like. I, I think trapping, and Jed had talked about this. Like trapping has really lost popularity because there's no money in it anymore. Yeah. You know, I have a cousin who does it a lot, but it's like his hunting. Like that's what yep. he does. Yep. For me, I duck deer and turkey hunt. I yep. really don't have, and then I own my own business and I, I, I almost don't have the time to do it. Sure. It's like, it, I don't have time. And I, I got into hunting them real heavy with, with rifles. I've never been much of a trapper. Um, but after that instance where they went after my bird dog, I kind of had a vengeance, you know, and I was like, these things are, they, they got to die, all of them, you know, but they do play a, a role in the ecosystem, you know, but we're definitely getting to the point where, I mean, hunting is a dying sport anyways, you know, it's, and I start to see that it's turning into what I call a rich man sport. You know, it's so expensive to hunt now. Ground's going away. Nobody wants that. When I was a kid, man, you could walk down my road, and if you didn't stop in and talk to the farmers and grab something to eat and go hunt your ground, they thought something was wrong with you. You know, they thought you were mad at them. Everybody lets you hunt. You know, and yeah. now everybody's scared of lawsuit and this, that, and the other. The ground's going away. Um, leases are, I mean, now, le- before, like when I was a kid, leases weren't even a thing no. around here. Nope. And now, like, I have to lease. I don't, we don't pay a, a boatload, but like, the right. the f- farmer was like, "Hey, you guys are gonna have to pay because some other people are, are literally stopping yeah. and offering me money." Yep. And I'm like, oh, "Awesome!" So then we start paying. It's like yep. I mean, you I'm can't even get somewhere to hunt. I, I gotta lease myself out in Illinois, you know. <laughs> but you know, and it's always been a mystery to me. You look out west. I mean, I guess yeah. Everybody says, "Well, they got better crops," you know, and everything. Well, we got corn around here too. You know, we got clovers around here too, but you go out there and it's just a different world. Mm. You know, I, I'm to the point now where I don't even want to mess around with these Pennsylvania bucks anymore. You know, I, uh, this was the first year that we got this lease out in Illinois and I hung a couple of tacticams up, you know, there's 10 bucks cruising this lady's hundred acre llama farm, uh, that are 150 or better, you know, just complete hogs. And it's like, we're lucky to see 150 inches every couple of years around here. And if you do, everybody and their brother knows about it mm-hmm. you know they know that yep. deer they've seen it cross the road you know they know where it's at um i've had some rough experiences around here my father-in-law has a little 20 acre sliver behind his house uh that when i was a young kid he let me hunt and i remember one morning on open the day a couple headlights come walking down into it you know and i'm flashing my headlight back at them they're flashing it back at me but i wasn't going to let it ruin my hunt i couldn't tell where they were going you know type situation so i just kind of took note of where they went seen a couple small deer come through and one was a little three point you know and uh i finally got down and i was curious as where these guys went because i'm like this is the only 20 acres behind here they got to be in here and i finally found them in a tree smoking a cigarette with you know a freaking 40 millimeter lens on a 300 wind mag in a tree and i'm like what are you doing dude you know this is private property he's like well it was getting daylight and we seen us off the side of the road, so we just decided to pull over and hunt it, you know? And I'm like, that's unreal. <laughs> that kind of thing gets you shot where I come from, you know? But Out in Illinois, and that that's a whole other basket of worms, but I out in Illinois, 
in my opinion, states like Illinois, Iowa, even South, Central, Southwest, Ohio, um, states like that, they are, they're, it's different. Hunting is different out there. There's less people and people do trophy hunt out there. Now, granted, I do believe that the colder winters grow bigger body deer, which grows bigger racked mm-hmm. deers. I deer, I understand, but I think that the fact that guys actually care about around here, you know, you got to be three or more on one side in Pennsylvania. Well, sure. in Maryland, it don't matter. Yeah. So, and in Virginia, it doesn't matter. So I, I've seen it my whole life. You know, we, when I was a kid, we shot, if it, if it walked by, we shot it yeah. and ate it. Like, yeah. cause we butcher our own. Like that's, that's how we go. But yeah, I find that deer, like Illinois, uh, deer hunting, turkey hunting out that way. I, in my opinion, I have a friend who I went to school with right here in Carroll County, Maryland. Um, he works for Midwest Whitetail. He's a, he's a camera guy editing sure. all that stuff for Midwest Whitetails. He started everything out here, moved out there. He was on the podcast when he came back home last year mm-hmm. and we talked and the hunting out there is different. It's really? not, it's less people and it's, it's thought about in a different manner. Yeah. Whereas around here it's, Hey, uh, let's go out and let's shoot, you know, put some meat in the freezer, whatever. Yeah. And here in PA, it's three or more on one side. Yep. I've hunted on some public land up here and found dead spikes and yeah. three points and things like that. That guys must've shot, got to them, been like, oops, Yep. you know, a- out there, those deer are looked over. They aren't even, yeah. it's like, not even a thing. It's like, don't even look at them. Just let them walk yeah. by. And like, that's not even a thing to them. So in my opinion, I think out there it's, it is that that area grows larger deer, but also people have been manipulating genetics right. and letting deer grow for so long that you know it's the mecca. It's like yeah. when you when somebody says I'm going to go kill a big whitetail, they're like Iowa. Illinois. Are you going to yeah. Illinois? Are you yeah. are you going Missouri. to Iowa, Missouri? Yeah. yeah, that's the other one. Like that's what everybody says. It's not. Yeah. I'm going to go to Maryland. I'm going to go to Pennsylvania. I'm yeah. gonna, you know. And you and you talk to the locals out there. I don't know if this has been your experience, but to them. Hunting season is just another day. You know, I, I find some locals out there, they'll go out, they'll sit in a tree stand until nine o'clock. They're like, well, got to check cows, you know, and they go on about right, life. Yeah. Whereas we've planned all year for this trip. You know, we went out in the spring, we put up cameras, you know, we planted food plots or whatever, you know, and we're living for that week. We're not going to spend a waking minute out of that stand. And those guys are like, well, I got to run down to the bank and pay some bills, you know, type of thing. And it's just a different way of life like you say out there, but no, I get what you're saying. I hunted Kentucky, uh, three or four years ago now it's been. And, uh, I told him, I was like, man, it's been a while for a buck for me, you know, first decent size eight that walks by is going to get it, you know? And he's like, oh, you'll see 10 of them before sunrise. Probably. I'm like, what? You know, he's like, oh, it's, it's guarantee. And he wasn't lying, you know, yep. mainframe eights are just, they're loaded with them out there, you know, yeah. little around here, there'd be 40 rounds through up the thing before, you know, the sun came up. But. Yeah, that everybody I've talked to who has hunted out that way has family out that way. Everyone says that same exact thing. You, yeah. you wouldn't believe the amount of 110 inch deer walking around. And I'm yeah. like, around here, people hunt 110 inch deer. Like yeah. it's their, it's it's their bread and butter. It's yeah. like what you're hunting. You know? I mean, if you don't pull the trigger on around here, it's not going to make it 100 yards down the road. You know, I think is it. Pennsylvania is still the state with the highest amount of hunters in the country, right? Per capita, yeah. Per capita, yeah. It's it's huge, and I mean, you can sit around here 
on opening morning and it sounds like Vietnam. You know, I oh, remember yeah. uh, two seasons ago, I was sitting there on opening morning and on our actual hunting property and rifle season and this uh, little buck came. I heard a shot right behind me enough to scare me out of the tree stand. I was like, these guys are hunting the property line, but oh well. And then it sounded like that movie, Grumpy Old Man. There was two of them arguing back and forth, and I kind of got a kick out of it. Well, I, I thought you hit it. Well, I can't see shit. You know that, you know, and this, that, and the other. Well, here comes this little five-point, like, gut shot, just walking under my stand. The, the steam's coming out of him and everything, so I put him out of his misery, and immediately they start screaming at me. That's our deer. You know, we're going to get down here and F you up and this and that. I'm like, it is your deer. I was like, I put him out of his misery. He's right here. I, I stopped him for okay. you. So you ain't at, at that point, he's your deer. Well, yeah. Like, but, I, mean, I know you didn't want to use your tag, but technically yeah. you killed that deer. Yeah, yeah, 110%, you know. But, uh, you know, there's no such thing as favors anymore. People get so aggressive. And I, I, I yeah. just remember sitting there laughing like, you know, these guys were – legitimately mad over a little five point you know and it's like yeah I, I gladly gave it to him you know yeah we if if it wasn't for the fact that i did hunt so many uh, hunt ducks so much and yeah. hunt so many different areas um i probably would just like you we would have a place out in the midwest or or we would have a place on the eastern shore or something sure. because and we still do look at property a pretty good bit down there but i just to me, I've seen it uh, not this past season, but the three seasons prior. The buck that's right here above us on the wall I shot on that property. Mm -hmm. um, and the only reason I did is we hadn't shot a buck in a while, mm -hmm. and we had been watching him. We knew he had broke a tine, and uh, he's he was three. And yeah. we're like, you know what? Dad wind bumped him. It worked perfect. He came right to me, and yeah. I shot him perfect. And, um, you know normally like we're three and a half if they're a big three and a half and yeah. then and that's only because the neighbors will shoot everything and sure. then you know we hope to see some bigger deer yeah. and grow bigger deer and a lot of the the neighboring properties will actually like i watched for three years straight i watched in rifle season bucks walk past me yeah i let them go walk on the neighbor's property Yep, and and shoot them, and oh, I was I've like, seen it. "That's God. what I said. You got to take advantage of the opportunity. There's no such thing as letting them walk around here, you yeah. know, unless you get a good group of landowners around you to where you know maybe an offspring you can talk to them and say, look, you know, I'm going to let some things walk this year, you know, and and they agree with it. There's not really a good way unless your property is just like a rainforest, you know what I mean, where they can get in that thick cover yeah. and just bed down." for the gun season and make it. And actually our property out there uh, here in Pennsylvania that we hunt is that it's surrounded by hills and stuff and everybody floods in there to hunt, but we've let it grow to a canopy and these deer flood in there and they stay in there all gun season, you know, but what's crazy looking at that buck is that is a beautiful buck for around here, you know, even Eastern shore. But on my way out to Illinois, I seen deer like that and bigger laying dead on the side of the road with the rack still on them. You know, people hit those things. Oh, out there. around here, somebody will use a hack knife and try to get the skull plate they out will, of the deer. They will cause a vehicle accident, whipping <laughs> the car over to cut the rack yep. off that thing. You know, and it's just it's just unreal. But I seen them out there laying dead on the side of the road. You know, it's just a different way of life. But but no, it's it's been beneficial going out there. Um, I'm proud of the way their state handles it. There's a stamp that you got to get. It's pretty hefty. Whereas around here, you know. There's not necessarily a stamp to hunt, right. but a lot of it goes back into conservation out there 
Is Illinois a four-on-one-side state? No, there's no antler restriction out no there that I'm aware of yet. I, I, or no, I think it's three up in Iowa. Okay. I think it's three on the on the main frame, not yeah. including brow point. I, I mean, I, I shouldn't say this as a hunter. I just got my tags in the mail um, along with a book that I was going to read up on. But that's something that I really didn't want to look into because just off of the trail camera footage that I've got, you know, I'm not taking anything home that's less than 150 inches. Right, so I'm not yeah, really yeah. worried about three on one side. But uh, no, you definitely got to read your book and go from there. But I wouldn't be surprised if they are. I just don't know it to be fact. Yeah, that that's another thing I think they do very well. In in, Mar in the state of Maryland, there are probably 50% of the counties are shotgun counties. Yeah. Those are just, for some reason, they're always the counties with the biggest bucks. I yep. don't know. Yep. It's... Everybody tells me it's the it's the deer the deer in Iowa are just bigger. Yeah, the, the, there's more farmland, and I'm like, that's funny because the eastern shore of Maryland has 180 inch deer killed every year, and yep. they you know most of those counties are shotgun counties. Yep. So what do you tell Howard County, Montgomery County? Yeah. Like, well, what I can tell you, growing up in New York, you know, was every year Steuben County was a booner producing county in New York State, and it was always shotgun. We had giant deer walking around till you know. 10 years ago when we went to rifle. But what I'm interested to see is Illinois this year went to straight wall cartridge. So you can have uh, a, sing you can have a single shot. Yep. And there's actually, they took it even further than some of these states. So there's actually a measurement of cartridge that it can't exceed. It can't be less than. Um, they're, they're pretty strict with it. It's got to be single shot. I don't know if I like it. And the, and the reason I say that is I think up here, yeah. a lot, of, I have found a lot of dead deer on that lease we have. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. I found a lot of uh, dead deer on that lease that we have. Mm -hmm. In in the, there's one spot. It's a marsh sure. with a creek through it, and I always there's there's happens to be some morels in there. Yeah. So every year, spring, right before turkeys, I go in there looking for some mushrooms, and I'll find dead deer in there. Yeah. And it's like I knew the neighbors were blasting off. Yeah. And last year, I did find a three and a half year old like. Uh, oh, a a buck that was gonna be like a split G three non typical, like yeah. a he was gonna be a hammer, and uh, he was dead right there in the field, right beside the. Are the they creek. Uh, are they toting those three fifty legends? Or are they shooting them smaller count well, guns? It's, or? it's it's a rifle county, okay. Carroll County. Gotcha. So Carroll County being a rifle county, guys are out there with old pumps, yeah, thirty odd sixes. If there's a deer running across that field with a rack, they can see. There's that. This is my take on it. If you don't have a shotgun, yeah, you're gonna not me. A lot of people will squeeze the trigger on a deer at 200 yards that they think's sure. a 150 inch deer. Yep, spreading across the field. I yeah. think that's how a lot of these deer get wounded, and I end up finding them. Sure. So if you have a shotgun, your debt, your deadly range might only be 100 yards. So at 200 yards, you're like. You're gonna be hail mary, and at that oh, sure. point, you know, with a rifle, you might be a little confident and yeah. take that shot. That's my take on it, yep. and that's why I think that a lot of these counties in Maryland that kill big, mature whitetails, oh sure, I think it's because they're shotgun counties. Hundred ten percent. You know, we need to start restricting these things. You know, I'm not knocking Pennsylvania State, but you know, let's get into the crossbow thing. Uh, that's that's a subject I'll talk about any day. You know, I. I like shooting my bows. Uh, in New York, you can only shoot a crossbow if you have a medical reason. It used to be like that in Maryland. Yeah. So you, you look at these things that they're producing now, you know, and I have one. I, I went out and bought one, and I got to shooting it, and I'm like, this thing's a rifle. You know, it's 
Well, I'm glad you said it because you have one. Yeah. I don't like them flat out. My grandfather has one. Yeah. yeah. And he couldn't shoot a bow to save his ass. He took yeah. that thing out and shot a buck right in the neck. I mean, sure. like right in the throat, right in the white patch, dropped it. Sure. And he's like, well, that was easy. And he shot it off a shooting rail yep. on it on his stand. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, no, no, yeah. no. And I and I don't want to, you know, cause any bad feelings with anybody, but I feel like that's where this country's going. We can't talk about things without fighting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not I'm not out here to make anybody upset, but you know, a guy that has the capability to shoot quarter size groups at 60, 70, 80 yards maybe shouldn't share the same season with a guy that's pulling 60 pounds back and trying to stand up, you know, and, and make the swing on a deer. Yeah, and takes a it takes a boatload. It, I remember when I was a kid, my dad shot PSE was the hot thing back yeah, then in yeah. the 90s. Old Pete Shepley. And, and my dad was uh, one of his best friends shot for PSE. Yep. And uh, dad would always get his uh, two-year-old bow, and they would give him a new one. And yeah. I was like, you know, PSC, and I was a little kid. Yep. And we would, my dad would haul off the ground, and my dad, we'd be in cornrows, like three rows back. And he'd be shooting deer, you know, at 20, 30 yards yep. off the ground with this bow that he had been practicing. There's pictures of me in my baby clothes sitting on his lap <laughs> on his knee while he's shooting his bow sure. in the backyard. Like, that's that's bow hunting to me. You have to practice it. Guys will go out sit in a blind over a corn pile with a, yeah. with, you know what I mean? Like with a crossbow yep. off a shooting rail yep. and shoot a deer. And I'm like, ah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. It just all really bugs I'm, me. All I'm, I'm getting at is, you know. Don't be a bitch. No, I'm kidding. Well, no, not necessarily that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we got amazing capabilities is what we have as far as tooling. You know what I mean? To, to, right. kill, to kill these deer with. And you talk about preservation and all. You can preserve as much ground as you want and everything, but if you're giving a guy the capability to take a, a rangefinder, click a button, and then his scope dials in at 894 yards, and he makes a one shot, one kill, you know that's takes a lot of the sport out of the game. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, I don't really want to say it like that because again, I, I'm not here to make anybody upset, but you know, it's, well, people don't like hearing the word sport when it comes to hunting, but yeah, sure. it it does take that out of the out of hunting, like I. I believe even with rifle hunting, I'm very practical and I don't make shots running deer like that. I, I don't sure. make shots. I don't think I can make. And, um, it's just one of those things, man, guys, a lot of people, the same people I'm talking about who shoot deer in the guts at 200 yards at a full sprint when they empty yep. when I hear them empty the clip, yep. they're the same guys who are like, why would I shoot a bow when I can shoot a crossbow yeah. and hunt over my corn pot? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. the difference. Well, and you got to look at, you know, our, our culture, right? There's some rod and gun clubs in upstate New York that have a running deer shoot. It's a steel target with a solid plate in the center of it that they will drag across a cable, you know, with shotguns. And whoever hits the center is the winner. You know, they're they're encouraging shooting on the run, you know. But, uh, again, shotgun state you know chances are if it's hit it's probably not going to make it but there again i've i can recount multiple big mountain does and stuff that i've shot 25 30 yards away that absorbed a 12 gauge slug like you would not believe acted like they weren't hit and through the shoulder you know and it's like how are you still pumping you know they're they're an amazing animal amazing animal yeah there there, there definitely is um it's I think it's the same thing that stems with the sick. You said earlier, it's, it's boys don't want to become men. It's, you know, yeah. and I, I think it stems from the same thing. It's the, 
the sick of gear stems from the same thing. It's sure. wanting to have the cool, the quote unquote coolest of the cool, the yeah. one wanting to spend $50,000 on a new truck that is jacked up that you park at the, you know, the, it's just like all that stuff. It all connects to the same thing I mean, to me. You, just, you watch the sports champ, you know, if you don't have the stuff, you're not hunting according to them, or at least that's the way it makes you feel. You know, look at any of your major rifle manufacturers right now. You'd be tough to find one that's putting a wood stock on a rifle. They're all polymer now. Yeah. You know, they're all carbon. They're they're moving along with the times, which is fine. They, they all have their niche. Some people are into that. You know, I've got some carbon rifles and stuff, but... In the mountain, I do appreciate my plastic stock. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to bang it. You know, you're going to beat it around and everything. It's just lighter. I don't care about that. It's just lighter. Yeah, yeah. My my Remington 30 out of 6,700 is, uh, she's pretty hefty. Like I say, that wood stock is hefty. 110%, you know, but uh, like with the turkey call thing, you know, I just, I'm a big wood guy, you know, and that's, I'm not trying to tell anybody this is where you got to go. You know, uh, this is just what I'm into. You know, and if you're into it too, check it out, you know, see what it's about. So pretty pieces of wood, you know, highly figured burls, Honduran, Rosewoods, you know, cedar burl. I mean, there's some really pretty woods out there. And then you mix them with some polymer here and there to get some color variations. You know, it, it turns out pretty nice. Yeah, the call the calls are really cool. Uh, I like that you brought in the blanks here. Uh, for everybody listening, uh, Cody brought in some blanks to kind of show me you know, where the starting point is. And, and, uh, it's really cool. The, the different styles, the different looks, I mean, you can yeah. pretty much, that's another cool thing about the custom calls is you can kind of get like, if, if I was said, Hey, I really just want like a, a dark wood. Yep. You could get that. Like it, it wouldn't, Absolutely. it's not like everything has to look like one way or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, to, to touch on that, a guy that hunts in Illinois is with us, um, last year commissioned me to make him, <laughs> Really funny guy, uh, very little, but he gets so excited about hunting. I mean, it's his life. The guy's killed 180s, 200s. I mean, he's he's there, you know. He come up to my house, and he's like, hey, I got a job for you. got a job for you. You know, he always doubles what he says. And uh, he goes, I want you to make me a grunt call. Get this, solid piece, 16 inches long. And I'm like, Barry. Why do you want 16 inches hanging from your neck, man? You know, and he, he's <laughs> you got to take a backpack owner. to carry your yeah, exactly. Call. I'm like, I took a tape measure off my hip and I pulled it out. I'm like, you want that hanging from your from your neck? He's like, I'm telling you, man, these Illinois deer, they growl like cows. I've never mm-hmm. heard a deep grunt like that before in my life. And he's like, but get this, get this. And he goes like this, and he says, deer's esophagus, 16 inches long. He goes, I want a 16 inch grunt. So here I am trying to figure out how. I'm going to make a 16-inch grunt call, right? That's that's like one of those little Orioles kids' bats that you get when you go to the game. Right, you know? right. One of those little mini bats. So I uh, got a hold of the company, and I had them cut me two inch by two inch. And actually, my lathe wasn't long enough to run 16-inch solid piece, so I ended up cutting it down into three sections. I think I got them to like 15 and three-quarter. But when it was done, I mean – deepest grunt call i've ever heard i mean you'd swear to god it was a steer coming at you you know and he he loved it you know but yes you can do as custom as you want you know what i mean i actually talked to a couple other call makers i was like you know how big's your lathe you know (laughs) is this possible type of thing before i even decided to take the job but uh he fell in love with it and he still wears it every day when he goes out hunting 
Man, that would be a, that's almost like a niche of your, if, if you could like really get those things wrong. Because yeah. how many people have got to call, that's that's a goose flute. I mean, a goose flute's what, 10 inches or it, something? It, it like, really was. So I, uh, I I picked out some really pretty pieces of Caribbean rosewood, which uh, down there, you know, you get the burl on a tree from the tree swaying back and forth all the time. So it's always subject to wind. So those really pretty bird's eyes and that flare grain and stuff that comes from that tree never just being still. Um, so the Caribbean rosewood was perfect for it. It had some pretty burls in it. And then I put inlays of bird's eye maple on the top and everything. It's on my Facebook page. You can look at it, but it was like three sections of like six inches, you know, to get that way. And it was, I ruined a whole nother piece of Western maple trying to make it, you know? So, so think about your call maker when you're doing that too, you know, he, he may not get it on the first shot. And yes, that's oh, a yeah. fault, but you know, it, no, no, when no, you it, go something completely it, custom. It is what it is, though. Yeah, when yeah. you go something completely custom like that, and you're asking a guy to go that way, and he's yeah. telling you this may not work, you know, think of your call maker uh, for a minute there. So I ruined a, like an $80 piece of Western Maple, you know, uh, trying to make this because I had to figure out how to get six inch pieces all cylindrical to where they would turn at one piece to finish it. And, and go together. So um, that one, and actually on my grunt calls that I'm making now, I've sought out a company, and I'm not going to give out their name. That's kind of one of my little secrets there, but uh, they have a brass bit in the reed that will keep it from freezing. So it gets uh, it pr helps promote vibration, but it'll also get you that deeper growl and everything, huh. that real raspy growl, um, but it, it stops you from freezing up too. So... Yeah, that's slick. I never thought about that. Uh, so how many grunt calls are, do you make? Like, what's uh... So last year I screwed up, and I was sitting in a tree stand uh, during bow season. I was like, hey, you know, I wasn't seeing much. I, I put a post on Facebook. I said, hey, if anybody's looking for something for Christmas, you know, gun season's coming, I'm making grunt calls, you know, let me know. Well, I got like 42 orders in like three days, and that was horrible because I work a full-time job. And what it turned into be was I felt obligated to be in the shop. It felt like a job now. Yeah. And I think that's my cutoff where I've learned as a call maker, I like to be in the mood for it when I'm making the call. That's where my mm -hmm. artwork comes out, my craftsmanship and everything. If I'm not intrigued to be there, it's just like your 40 hour work week job. You know, if you're not gonna if you're not gonna be in tune that day, you probably shouldn't be at work. You know what I mean? If if you're upset and not wanting to be there you're not going to put out good work you know so i finally got those 42 done and then what i would start doing is i would make a call on my time you know and that's where i started to establish a little bit better pay for it you know people would i kind of got a following to where people wait for one of my calls to come up and it is what it is right but i will make like custom turkey calls by order here and there but i never got that volume of order at one time you know do you think so this fall you think you'll do like on your own do some grunt calls and sell them instead of yeah doing it that way definitely okay, yep. right, it's yeah. it's one of those things where you know i can be in the in the shop working in the evenings and stuff it it, it all depends on what my life's doing you know realistically that time um that's where i go to kind of woosah i go out to the garage so but also with my daughter starting school and stuff, extra school activities, things like yeah. that, you know, it kind of limits on the family time too. But I will definitely make some grunt calls for sure. That's cool, man. Yep. Well, we'll hop off of here uh, yeah. for over an hour in. So. Dude, thanks for, thanks for having me over. Yeah, where can everybody find you? 
Uh, so I have a Facebook page on uh, Facebook. It's Cold Springs Custom Calls. Uh, you can message me through that. Um, I have a New York State phone number. My brother's a rep for AT&T, so I get a good deal. So I kept my New York number, uh, 607-481-9564. And uh, you can text me, call me, whatever. My phones are always on. So, All right, man. Well, it was great talking to you. I learned a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Learned I appreciate lot, you guys man. having me on. So, All right. See you guys.